Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast, I guess the post-mortem edition of this Cavaliers 2021-2022 season. This is Hayden Grove, and joined, as always, by our Cavaliers beat reporter for Cleveland.com, Chris Fedor. And as you well know, Cavaliers, two opportunities to win one game to get into the 2022 NBA playoffs, and they could not do it, falling to the Atlanta Hawks after the Brooklyn Nets. Um, Chris, it's, it's, I, I, this is the post-mortem episode, so I do want to get into a lot of stuff, but, um, yeah, yesterday you, you talked to everyone, you know, I think Colin Sexton, Kevin Love, you know, the whole team, and they had their kind of post, you know, season press conference. And, um, what was the overriding theme? Because I, I, it seems as if it was just. This is a great year, and next year we're going to do great things. Yeah, that's pretty much the gist of it, for sure. Um, I think Kevin Love said it really, really well. It's it's painful, and it was hard to process that the season was over. Um, he he almost couldn't believe that the season was over, and it ended so quickly. Um, but a lot of the guys were speaking with positivity about the things that they accomplished. And I think that's fair. And I think that's an understandable viewpoint because, you know, despite the fact that they didn't get the seven game series that they desperately need, like those realities and the fact that they didn't play their best in in the two play in tournament games against Brooklyn and Atlanta, like those realities can't overshadow the fact that this organization did make a huge step forward this year. And at the very beginning of the season, before any games were played, J.B. Bickerstaff, Mike Ganzi, Kobe Altman, everybody inside the organization was saying, we need to take positive steps forward. We need to feel like there is a plan in place. We need to feel like we can see the vision so that um, we can be the next Atlanta Hawks or um, the next Memphis Grizzlies or, or whatever team you want to look at. Um, to try and follow that model as that ascending team with a lot of hope for the future. And I think if we're being honest, even in the face of this frustration and this disappointment by the way the season ended, and even in the disappointment that they're not getting the playoff series that they need to take another step forward as an organization, if we're being honest, we can see a bright future. 
we can see a plan in place. And that's, um, that's a really, really important thing to note um, as we move forward when you're talking about a rebuilding team that was basically trying to dig out from beneath the rubble for three years. Right, right. Definitely positive steps, and 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 there is a lot to uh, a lot to improve upon. Even though that things went well this year, so I I think I want to go back to the Hawks game because the uh, the Brooklyn game. Okay, you didn't have Jared Allen. You fought yeah. hard. They had Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant. I mean, it, it is what it is. Right. They're in Brooklyn, right. whatever. The Hawks game. You had control. Um, you started off hot. And things went well, and you had Jared Allen, and you had home crowd. Uh, what can we chalk that loss up to? I mean, can it just be Trey Young going off, or was there more there? I mean, they went completely cold in the second half, which can happen in an NBA game, but um, it, it just kind of was. I feel like it was a microcosm of the whole season, like. Started off really strong, fans were into it, crowd was into it, whatever. You had everything going right, and then the second half, things just kind of fell flat. But I think in the in the the, the whole season, the scope of the whole season for the Cavs, you know, obviously they had injuries, obviously they had they ran out of gas. Is that kind of what happened in this uh, game against the Hawks? They just ran out of gas again. Look, I mean, I wrote it um, after the Brooklyn game. I felt like the Brooklyn game showed everything that the Cavs were, everything that people loved about them and everything that people questioned about them. Right. And to, to some level, I feel like the Hawks game did the same thing. Yeah. Um, just in a different kind of way. Like the Brooklyn game was about fighting, showing their heart, showing their toughness, showing their resiliency, all those traits that, that really fueled a surprising start and what, what turns out to be a turnaround season. Um, with the Hawks, like the Cavs showed how lethal Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, Jared Allen can be as a trio, the floor spacing and the shooting of Lowry Markinen, but it also showed a lack of depth, right? It also showed, um, too much putting, uh, putting, putting too much on Darius Garland based on some of the injuries that the Cavs had to try and overcome throughout the course of the season. Um, it showed some flaws on the defensive end of the floor when when Jared Allen isn't 100% effective, um, and I I think if we're being honest, it it also showed that this team's offense continues to be problematic, especially in some pressure-packed situations. And if, if J.B. Bickerstaff is going to evaluate himself this offseason and he's going to try and look at, at what's the next thing that, that he needs to add to this coaching staff, I would say at the top of that list is a well-respected, high-level offensive coordinator that can keep what happened in the fourth quarter from happening or that can keep what happened you know, in the first quarter against the Brooklyn Nets from happening or in some of these other bigger games that the Cavs played. In a lot of the bigger games that the Cavs played in the second half of the season, Hayden, whether it was Toronto, Chicago, Brooklyn, Atlanta, um, you saw a little bit too much iso ball. You saw a little bit too much on the plate of Darius Garland just going out trying to create. You saw the offense grow stagnant 
Um, and, and that's something that, that needs to be remedied. And, and maybe the Cavs look at it and say, well, if we had somebody like Ricky Rubio to play alongside Darius Garland, if we had somebody like Colin Sexton to play alongside Darius Garland, then maybe it would have been different in those kinds of moments. And I think that's a fair way to look at it. But this organization also prides itself on controlling the controllables and, and trying to find um, different advantages and different edges um, in ways to get better. And if, if they're being honest, beyond the injuries, I think they need some help on the offensive end of the floor because it consistently wasn't good enough. So I guess we can go there. Um, you know, we can already start to look at next season. The season's over and, you know, it's time to move to towards a new season. Um, with, you, you mentioned it, they need, you know, they need some help. They do. I don't think there's any question. And they lost some help. Um, mm-hmm. Ricky Rubio went down. Colin Sexton went down. Those were big losses. But both of those guys, I, I think that there's a, there's a, a definite chance that Ricky Rubio comes back. I think that's still very much in the air. Um, or I still think that's very much a possibility. Colin Sexton, I think the same thing. He spoke at his press conference yesterday saying, I want to be in Cleveland. I love Cleveland. I, I want to be here. So going into this offseason, I mean, what what are the thoughts on those guys? What is the thought on Colin Sexton? What, are the, what is the thought on, you know, potentially bringing back Ricky Rubio? Or can they upgrade from Ricky Rubio? I mean, the, you know, just because Ricky Rubio played well for the Cavs this year, he is an aging veteran. And, um, you know, can they? is there a way for them to kind of find a newer, younger, better piece that, you know, could potentially be better than Ricky Rubio? Well, I think if we're going to have the Rubio conversation, we have to start here. Um, everything that I'm told based on his, ACL recovery in the timeline, and he's been in Spain recovering from the torn ACL. He hasn't even been in the States. He's been in Spain doing that. We're looking at November, December at the earliest. Okay. All right? So that means whatever team is going to sign Ricky Rubio is is going to be without him probably for about two months of the season. And that becomes harder for a team like the Cavs to justify. Because if we think about this past season with the Cavs, part of the reason why they ran their their top players into the ground is because some of the other guys that they would have turned to weren't ready for a bigger responsibility or weren't going to give the Cavs enough. And they had to play um, their top guys to win games. Like, the Cavs aren't in the situation of the Milwaukee Bucks or the Phoenix Suns or even the Golden State Warriors, if we're being honest. Um, if, if, if their top guys don't play or their top guys rest or they don't play them, you know, 35 to 40 minutes, the margin for error for the team shrinks and the opportunity to win the game, that shrinks as well. So can you really afford, if if the Cavs are going to look at Rubio as the potential backup point guard to Darius Garland, can you really afford to have him taking up a roster spot um, for the first two months of the season? I don't know, right? They would have to also go out and find a competent third point guard 
somebody that obviously is not going to be the caliber of Ricky. The great thing about him is that he is a starter quality point guard that is also okay with taking a backup role. And he's understanding of that. And he's willing to take a step back because he recognizes that it's Darius Garland's team. But any team that is going to sign Rubio and they have aspirations to win and they're not a team loaded with talent that can afford to be without him for two months and still be okay is going to have to also find a competent third point guard that can step in and be the backup point guard for those two months. And when Rubio comes back and he gets healthy, that third point guard has to be understanding and also has to recognize that his role is going to go from being a backup to who knows when that guy is going to play. And that particular role isn't for everybody. And the quality of player that the Cavs could get for those two months is probably a lot lower based on what's going to happen over the final four months. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Makes a lot of sense. So there are a lot of things that that would make it logical for Ricky to come back here to the Cavs. Um, He does like the organization. The organization loves him. One of his best friends, Jose Calderon, is in the Cavs' front office. That helps. J.B. Bickerstaff, his relationship with Ricky, that helps. But being without him for two months for this kind of team, um, that would be, I think, really, really problematic. Yeah, it makes sense. And then Colin Sexton. I mean, that's that's a guy like we've we've talked a lot about Colin Sexton. So what is his future? I mean, what what are the Cavaliers? What is their thought process? What is his thought process like? What what is the kind of where are they at? What are they going to what are they going to do going into next season? Well, the Cavs are in the driver's seat, Hayden, and they prepared for this. And it's part of the reason why the negotiations went the way that they went last summer. Um, the Cavs always knew that in their back pocket, they had restricted free agency, and that protects teams like the Cavs from overpaying. Um, when it comes to Colin, look, there were questions about him coming into this year, league-wide questions about Colin coming into this year. Is he a winning player? Does he have a selfish style? Um is he a starting two guard or would he be better coming off the bench in part because of his size and his lack of defense and in part because of his style, his playing style. Um, Does he get along with teammates? Um, Like what's the right price for somebody like Colin? So there were a bunch of questions league wide about him to begin with. And then the Cavs, you know, They have this turnaround season where they win 44 games and they get on the doorstep of the playoffs without Colin. So that obviously doesn't help the view, right or wrong, right? I think everybody understands that there is a value to Colin and the Cavs definitely could have used his scoring push. They definitely could have used his energy. They definitely could have used his ball handling and his shot creation. Right or wrong, the Cavs having success without him um, hurts his value. Yeah. Beyond that, he's coming off an injury. And right. nobody has seen him play since early November. And he says that he's going to be ready for the start of training camp. And 
Um, everything that I have heard, and he's supposed to this upcoming week meet with doctors again to see what his progress is. But everything that I've heard, his recovery is going well, and you know he is walking a little bit better each time that I see him, and he's able to do more on the court each time I see him when it comes to shooting jumpers and, and movement-based drills and, and things along those lines. But anybody investing Colin is understanding that um, there is a variable there that is, is hard to um, answer. Like, how effective is he going to be coming off this surgery? Is he going to lose a little bit of his explosiveness? And um, what does this mean for the length of his career? Like, all those things, how do you know those answers until you actually go out and see the guy play in a real regular season game. And nobody is going to get that opportunity until after they sign Colin. So with all of those things taken into account, plus the fact, Hayden, that very few teams have cap space this coming summer, something that the Cavs were fully aware of when projecting this thing forward. Um, I just don't know that anybody out there is going to give Colin the kind of contract offer in restricted free agency that the Cavs aren't going to be willing to match. Right. Right. And that's, again, that, that's, that's a huge part of it, obviously, you know, with the restricted free agency that they have an opportunity. So they're, you're right. They're not going to pay above market value unless, you know, somebody comes out and really blows their socks off. So. Um, and I don't even know what market value is. Right. You're right. It's tough. I don't know that the Cavs know what market value is. I don't know that Collins people know what market value is. Market value might be a lot different if he would have been able to play throughout the course of this season. But what's the market value for um, a, a young player who can score really, really well, but comes with a lot of questions and is coming off an injury-riddled season where he only played 11 games? What's the market value for that? Right. I have no idea. Right. I mean, and a team that really flourished without him, if that makes any sense. I mean, I know that they, um, I know that they, you know, that they could have used him at times, but they certainly played well without him. There's no question about that. And there are things about Colin that make him a starting caliber shooting guard in the NBA. There are, but there are also things about him that would make people look at him and say, he's better suited coming off the bench in a six-man role. And any team that is going to have Collins starting at, at, at the two-guard, an undersized starting two-guard, there has to be a lot of um, really, really high-level plus defenders surrounding him, including a point guard that probably has a little bit of, of, of size to him. Um, and, and if it doesn't, um, then that guy has to have, like, defensive chops. You know, like a TJ McConnell type, not him specifically, but that kind of guy. If if he doesn't have the size, like McConnell doesn't have the size, but he has the grittiness and he has defensive capabilities, like it would have to be that type of player or a taller, longer player if you're going to commit to Colin being the starting shooting guard. That's just the reality. Um, there aren't a lot of teams in the NBA that are fully comfortable with a six foot one shooting guard. Right. Well, I want to look at the Cavaliers roster as a whole and, and like we can project a little bit out, you know, going into next season. Um, 
kind of talk about some guys that might be, you know, might not be here next year. And I think there's a good number of them. Um, but there's a good number that are going to be here. I mean, we look at Jared Allen will be here. Uh, mm-hmm. Garland, Karis LeVert. And we could talk about Karis LeVert. I think the only thing to talk about with Karis LeVert is can, you know, can he pick it up? I mean, I think everybody can see that he did not have the year that he wanted or the, the, the impact that he wanted to have. I think he didn't have the impact the Cavs wanted him to have. Uh, I, I think that can be due to a lot of different things. You know, he seemed comfortable comfortable coming in. Then the All-Star break happened. Then he got hurt. And as you, as we talked about, there wasn't too much time for him to get kind of ingrated in, or integrated into the system and kind of find himself in a comfortable place. I think going into next year, I think that can all kind of go out the window. He'll have plenty of time. He'll have an opportunity to, you know, really get himself comfortable. He said he wants to be here. He said this is where he, you know, he's he wants to he wants to talk about a contract extension. Like, you know, we'll see if that happens. Mm-hmm. But I think more so than anything, he's just he'll be he'll be he'll have time. He'll have the 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 requisite time to come and and get ingratiated or ingrated integrated into the system. Yeah, the Levert conversation I think is complicated. To be honest with you, um, okay. I, I think to some level it does. Kind of tie into the Colin one. They play the same position. They have a similar style. The Cavs don't have to do anything when it comes to Levert this offseason. He's under contract. It's the final year of his deal where he's making about 18 million. I think it's 18.8 million, something like that. Um, so the contract extension thing, yes, he's extension eligible, but the Cavs don't have to go down that road. And if the Cavs don't go down that road, there's another layer that comes into play here. He would be on an expiring contract. And the one thing that we do know, we understand in the NBA, expiring contracts have more value. There are teams out there that are going to be shifting into a rebuild mode that have high-priced guys on longer-term deals that are looking for salary cap relief. And Karras would be a potential avenue for that. I'm not saying the Cavs are definitely going that way. But I'm saying if there is no contract extension, that can't be discounted. Um, In saying that, I think some of the things that you said about Karras are right. Um, I got a text shortly before the game the other night against Atlanta that let me know what the Cavs were doing with their starting lineup. And the text basically read, this is the starting five that we've been waiting for. Um, Karis LeVert played one game, one, with Darius Garland, um, Lowry Markinen, Evan Mobley, and Jared Allen all together. 24 total minutes. And that was a lineup that obviously the Cavs wanted to take a look at. That was a lineup that the Cavs looked at saying that's the potential starting five of the future if if Karras works out the way that we want him to work out. Um, in those 24 minutes against Atlanta, it looked good. It looked promising. Um, they had an offensive rating of 119.6. They had a defensive rating of 102.2. An extremely small sample size against an Atlanta team that really doesn't defend. Um, But with those five on the floor together, the Cavs were really good, and they outscored the Hawks by eight points. That's something to consider moving forward. The other thing to consider moving forward is that 
Harris is in the prime of his career. He fits the Cavs' timeline. He's a proven scorer. He's a bigger defender than what Colin Sexton would be playing next to Darius Garland. So I think the Cavs would feel better about their defense moving forward with with that duo more so than Sexton Garland. Although Sexton Garland, I think, is better offensively than Levert Garland based on what I saw. Um, and then Levert has a lengthy injury history. He's played in 60 or fewer games in every season except for the 2017-18 season. Um, he overdribbles, he hijacks possessions, he's really, really isocentric, um, he's more mid-range than three-point range uh, when he's not driving to the basket and scoring at the rim. So there are a lot of things that the Cavs have to consider here with Karras. And look, the, the final two months of the regular season after acquiring him, Hayden, number one, they didn't go well, and number two the Cavs were hoping that they were going to look at him up close and personal, see how he fit, see how he blended, see how his game worked alongside Darius Garland and worked alongside Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. And they didn't really get that opportunity. At some points he was less than a hundred percent because he was dealing with the sprained foot. Other points, he just wasn't out there on the court. He played 19 games. That's not a lot of evaluation. So I think it would be hard for the Cavs unless it's really, really team-friendly that works for both Karras and the Cavs. I think it would be hard for them to make a long-term investment in him based on what they saw in those 19 games since he arrived from Indiana. Anybody in the organization would have to admit that the Karras-Levert trade did not go according to plan. So if they admit that, how do they turn around and then give him a long-term contract extension. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that they do. I, I think that you know. I think he brought it up yesterday, but I don't think that they do, unless again, unless it's very, very team friendly, which you know, right, is not out of the realm of possibility with him wanting to be in Cleveland. So, yeah. Uh, so then you really, really put it in his court and say, okay, this is where you want to be. These are the teammates that you want to play with. This is where you say your heart is. Sure. Right. Yeah. Yep. A team friendly deal. Yep. There's no yep. guarantee that he does, right? It's really, right. really easy to say, I want to be here. This is where my heart is. And then they give you a contract extension offer and you're like, wait a minute. Yep. <laughs> I want to be here to a point. <laughs> to a exactly to a point. Correct. That is right. always the case. To a point. Um, sometimes guys say things and they're like, well. Just kidding. I want to be here <laughs> at my price. So uh, I get it. I get it. Um, yeah. I want to, like I said, I want to take a look at some of the, the other guys in the roster here. Um, and I mean, from what I can see them for the most part, it, it seems as though the Cavaliers will be mostly intact next year, given everything, um, you know, given the contract situations and, and everything. I think the one guy that I'm looking at, which is, um, you know, he he kind of had a good year, but kind of didn't. It's kind of up in the air um, to what they do with him next year. Uh, Jetty Osman. It's kind of one yeah. of the, the the weird the weird ones uh, because I think when you look at the roster, just go down it. Jared Allen's going to be here. Gary Garland's going to be here. Karis Levert's going to be here. Kevin Love is on the final year of his contract. I would assume that he's going to be there. You know, uh, 
given the what he gave them this year. Larry Markin is going to be there. Evan Mobley is going to be there. Isaac Okoro is going to be there. Colin Sexton, we talked about. Um, and the other guys are, are very fringe. But um, but Jetty was kind of the 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 midway point between the end of the roster, or like the between the bench guys and the the guys who get a lot of runs. So what's right. the future for Jetty? I mean, what what do you, what do you think? Well, I have to correct you on something because I don't think the Cavs had the kind of season where they're looking at this roster saying we need to blow it up. Okay. I don't think they had that kind of season. I think they feel the progress. I think they sense the progress. I think they believe that something special is brewing here. In saying that, they also didn't have the success where it's like, okay, we've got a bunch of untouchables on this roster. Right. And if a unique opportunity presents itself, we're going to turn our back on that because we won 44 games and we were on the doorstep of the playoffs. So I think the Cavs are going to go into this offseason with an aggressive mindset, but I don't think they're going to cross over into the threshold of reckless. And, and if we summarize that, there are three primary untouchables on this roster. The Cavs know moving forward, that they are building around Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, and Darius Garland. Yep. So then it's up to the front office to find the pieces that fit best around them. I think they believe that Markinen is a really good fit because of his shooting, because of his floor spacing, and because he can play some small forward. He showed that. The three-big lineup for the Cavs with Markinen, Mobley, and Allen was successful. Um, it, it was an experiment that a lot of people laughed at. They said it wasn't going to work. It worked. Those three guys together worked. Um, so I think, I mean, Markinen's not untouchable, obviously, but I think they like what he brings um, in the particular setup that they envision. Um, so if we start there with everything's going to be built around Darius, Evan, and Jarrett, um, yes, I think Karis LeVert can fit. Yes, I think Colin Sexton can fit. Kevin Love, same thing. But if you're not one of those three, I would think that there's a sense of trepidation. And obviously, there are layers and there's a hierarchy in the next wave of guys, LeVert, Markinen, Sexton, all those different guys. Um, even Isaac Okora. Um, if, if the Cavs see an opportunity to get a two-way wing, the kind of player that they don't have on this roster, the most difficult um, piece to find in the NBA, and that costs them some combination of Isaac Okoro, whoever it is they draft this year in the first round because they're keeping their lottery pick by virtue of missing the playoffs because it was a lottery-protected pick going to Indiana, and then maybe like Colin Sexton or Levert, whatever the case may be, like, if that opportunity presents itself, I could definitely see the Cavs going down that road and parting with some of their young talent that, that is more, quote-unquote, expendable. Um, but to your point about Jetty, I think – I don't know the percentage on it, but I think it's highly likely that he's playing somewhere else next year. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense, um, just given everything <laughs> – Literally, the he was in and out of the rotation. J.B. Yeah. Bickerstaff lost some trust in him throughout the course of the year. 
Um, he did not play in the biggest game of the season against the Atlanta Hawks. Um, Jetty feels like it was the best individual season that he has had. Um, and Jetty feels like he found a role for the Cavs. And, and he had um, he definitely had a role in their success, especially at the start of the season. His numbers tailed off completely when Ricky Rubio was lost for the year. Um, Jetty is – he needs – to play alongside a point guard and a creator like Rubio so that Jetty doesn't have to do too, too much. And he can just, you know, stick to his role, but his descending contract, his age, and some of the success that he had um, this past year for the Cavs, especially early in the season, I think it gives him some value. He can't be the centerpiece of a trade that's going to bring something significant back. But add his salary in, make him a quote-unquote sweetener of a deal, then, yeah, maybe, possibly. Or take Jetty and a future second-round pick and see what that can get you. Take Jetty and whoever it is they draft in the lottery, see what that can get you. But, you know, Lamar Stevens emerged. I think he's going to continue to get better, especially on the offensive end. They still have Isaac Okoro on this roster. They feel good enough about what Lowry Markkinen gave them at the three. I think the Cavs feel like Karis LeVert can play the two or three. So I think there are enough guys that the Cavs feel better about that can swallow those minutes that, you know, trading Jetty away is, is something that I think is probable. Makes sense. Or at least looking into it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, we do have a whole offseason to kind of dive into what they're going to do. We have free agency coming up. We have, you know, um, a lot. But I think the I think the bottom line here, as you mentioned, is that they kind of have their foundation. They have the three guys. They have Evan, they have Jarrett, and they have Darius Garland. And that's kind of the cornerstone for every organization is to have that foundation. And, you know, to, to be honest, before this year, you didn't know. You didn't know if you had Darius. I mean, right. I mean, Darius took a big step, but he took an, a massive leap this year, and that's that's important. Um, uh, you right. you know what you have in Evan Mobley. The guy was a star. I mean, I, I would assume. I don't know if he'll be the rookie of the year, Chris. I, I don't know. I don't know if Cade Cunningham. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Cade Cunningham did enough to to surpass him. But there was definitely a point where he was the rookie of the year, and and he's yeah. very much in the running for that. Um, You're looking at the wrong guy to challenge Evan, though. Am I? Voters. Voters uh, are going Scotty. Back. Yeah. 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 You know, I talked to a lot of people in the second half of the season traveling around the country and I just asked them point blank. Are you looking at Scotty? Are you looking at Evan? Who's getting your vote as of right now? And more people than I thought said Scotty. And, and the thing is a lot of voters, including myself, look deeply at advanced numbers. Um, And I'm not going to bore you with their names and stuff like that. But the advanced numbers oftentimes point to value, point to impact on winning. And I'm not saying I agree with this, okay? My vote went to Evan. I voted Evan Mobley Rookie of the Year. I also voted Kevin Love Sixth Man of the Year, by the way. Um, But (laughs) a lot of the advanced metrics, that are there to define value in winning point to Scotty Barnes. Okay. And again, they're in the playoffs. So that's right. There. Not <laughs> only that, they were, you know, at a time when the votes 
were getting submitted in the second half of the season for the entire season, obviously. And you can't right. overlook what Evan did at the beginning of the year. And you can't say, I'm going to put more stock in the second half of the season. But these voters are human. And at the time that they were submitting their ballots, um, <laughs> the Cavs were in free fall mode. Yep. And the Toronto Raptors were surging up the standings. And yep. in part because of what Scotty Barnes was, was able to do for the Raptors. So I think it's going to be really, really close. And I know people inside the Cavs organization have grown very nervous about Evan's chances of winning rookie of the year. Whereas if we were having the conversation in January, February, they were talking about Evan as if he was a lock. Yeah. I mean, he was definitely a lock at one point, but um, it'll be interesting. I think it's interesting that you voted for uh, Kevin Love. Do you think Kevin Love will, I mean, what's the chance that Kevin Love wins? No. Incredibly low. <laughs> Incredibly low. I, I think it's Tyler Hero. I think he's going to get a majority of the first place votes. But I, I thought Kevin had a greater impact on, on winning um, to his team than, than Tyler Hero did. And a lot of the advanced numbers um, that I do focus on, it's not the end all be all, but a lot of the advanced numbers that I focus on um, were Kevin. And I think if Kevin would have played the number of minutes that Tyler Hero did, if Kevin would have gotten the number of shots that Tyler Hero did, right. and maybe I'm wrong for looking at it this way, but if that would have been the case, then I think his his counting numbers would have been similar enough. And I just saw his importance to the Cavs um, throughout the season. I saw the maturity. I saw the leadership. I saw the stabilization, especially with the second unit. I just, I just thought he deserved it. Makes sense. I mean, he was a vital in so many ways. And maybe it's something that people outside of Cleveland wouldn't really grasp because, you know, because there are so there are guys that are focused on other teams. But like that, the the, yeah. the people in Cleveland know what what Kevin Love did this year and how valuable he was, not only on the court, off the court. I mean, he really came into his own and really, you know, was selfless and and did everything he yeah. could to to make this team, you know as good as it was. So I think and he look, deserved, even if he doesn't deserve to win it, he definitely deserved votes. Yeah. He's going to get votes. There's no doubt about it. Um, I don't know if he's second, you know, Bogdanovich in Atlanta had a really good year coming off the bench. Um, Cam Johnson for the Phoenix Suns, He was really good. I'm trying to think of some of the other candidates, at least for six man of the year. Uh, those are, those are two that really, Oh, Jordan Poole. Of the Golden State Warriors stands out too. Um, I don't remember how many grow, games he started grow, versus coming off the bench. They grow guys on trees over in Oakland, man. It's crazy. <laughs> crazy. But, but the thing I was going to say is when it comes to Kevin, look, it is not easy to be on a team of, of really, really young guys. It's not. Um, and it's not easy to support that young group as well. I mean, for a majority of the season, the Cavs were relying on mostly guys 25 and under. And then there was Kevin, who was trying to keep that all together, share his experience, come off the bench, make an impact. And, you know, that was a point of frustration for him in the first three years is that he was at a certain level of, of his career 
he was at a certain level of intellect based on his experience and the other guys around him just weren't on that same level. Um, and, and he had to learn a lot from those three years. And I thought the growth that he showed and the maturity that he showed this year was really, really important. And if you think about it, a, a big part of the Cavs culture is sacrifice. And him and Ricky Rubio sacrificing at the very beginning of the season, taking a step back and passing the figurative torch, that really set the tone for this kind of turnaround season. So for all those reasons, I went with Kevin Love. It's my sixth man of the year. Well, we definitely have time to uh, to talk about all this, all everything. But I wanted to get one kind of official postmortem podcast uh, with this Cavalier season as we head into, um, you know, an offseason, a very, very, very important offseason for this organization. I mean, I think it's yep. it's vital. But I think overall, when you look at this Cavs season, it was fun, it was exciting, and it was a step in the right direction. And I think it was a success. I mean, we, we both of us were talking in the twenties when it talked to when we discussed win yeah. totals for this team, and it ended up in the forties. So I don't think you can take that away from them. You know, Darius Garland took a massive right. step. Um, you know, we still have to see what's going to happen with Colin Sexton, but you know what your core is, and that's I think that yeah. if anything, I think that's vital. Um, it's vital to the organization to know that what they're going to build around. So, as you said, there aren't untouchables on the roster, but there are some guys. There are um, there are some guys that are have their feet firmly planted in their roles. And uh, you know, if the organization wants, if there's opportunities that arise, Kobe Altman has shown that he's willing to pounce, and that's definitely yeah. the case. So, any uh, any closing thoughts? As uh, yeah, as I mean, I think to your to point, to drive home your point, it's it's not just that they found three. Right. It's the fact that they have found three that all fit together. Because what was the conversation coming into this year? Okay, well, the Cavs have some individual pieces. They have some talent on this team, but does it all fit together? Can it contribute to winning basketball? That was the conversation with Darius and Colin, right? Okay, so individually, we like what they can give us moving forward, and they can be core pieces but can they play together? Can they be effective together? And will that lead to winning basketball? Um, Jared Allen can play alongside Evan Mobley. Evan Mobley can play alongside Jared Allen. They can play without each other too. And Darius Garland can play alongside both. And even though Evan at this point in time, you know, has some strength that he needs to gain and the three-point shot needs to come, and he needs to do a better job setting screens and stuff like that. Darius, Evan, Jarrett, they bring out the best in each other. And that's really, really important if you're talking about these building blocks. That's really, really important when you're talking about these cornerstones of the franchise. It's one thing to have talent, but you have to make it all fit together well and have that puzzle lead to winning basketball. And I think Darius, Evan, and Jarrett showed that all of them together bring out the best in one another. And that also makes the Cavs the best that they can be. That's, and that's hugely important, hugely important for the future. All right, Chris, it is Easter. Have a happy Easter. I know you're going to celebrate your family today. I am as well. Um, But we wanted to get a a podcast out for you guys, the listeners, Um, whether you listen to it today on Easter or or Monday or whatever. Um, (laughs) 
In the meantime, thank you for joining us. I appreciate you. Sign up for Chris's subtext, $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial, cleveland.com slash Cavs. Click the blue banner at the top of the page. That's a, that's a tongue twister. Click the blue banner at the top of the page. And um, <laughs> you can um, put in your phone number and get all kinds of insight analysis, um, news and whatnot from straight from Chris to your phone before anybody else. So $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial. Chris, I, I can't wait for you to have this offseason, man. Um, I think that Thank you. with your uh, with your new baby boy, and, and I think it's yeah. it's tremendously exciting for you. So have a wonderful offseason. We'll talk plenty. I, it'll be much we'll, it'll, it'll be much easier for us to, to podcast during the offseason, which makes yep. sense because you're on the road a lot. But so you won't be uh, you won't be hearing less from us. But uh, I certainly hope again, Chris, that you enjoy this offseason, your first one with your uh your son and uh i can't wait to uh to see what adventures you guys have yep you know i will i've been waiting all season <laughs> right let's well, hear all right thank you guys so much again appreciate you chris for joining us have a wonderful easter have a wonderful um weekend if you don't celebrate um appreciate you guys joining us and be stay tuned for an off season full of the wine and gold talk podcast we'll talk soon take care